Good morning. It's, well, it's always good to be with you. I feel honored that I'm almost every month in Dallas and get chances to visit with you here. This time I'm honored to teach and I'm going to use this uh, honor to the full capacity. So you will get two teachings today. <laughs> A little bit more comprised, but still two different things. One uh, related to the ministry that I'm doing. One is related uh, or the, as an answer to a question that was asked uh, the last time, like a little bit more than a month I was here. I told that I'm going to teach on that subject when I'm teaching. So I, I try to keep my words, more or less. Uh, so <laughs> now, uh, first part, okay? So first part is uh, this week that is uh, coming to the end, according, according to the Monday through Sunday week, according to the Jewish week, uh, it's already the past week because Shabbat is over and it's the first day of the week. Uh, but uh, the, uh, this week that is coming to the end, we uh, celebrate, we're still celebrating Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's, uh, uh, it's not just a Jewish feast, it's not just a biblical feast, it's a special appointment of God. And there are several regulations according to, uh, to, to the Torah. Regulations given to the Jewish people how to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, one of those regulations is to bring a sacrifice into the temple. Well, we don't have temple. We don't have sacrifices. We just uh, pray. Uh, we just have a chance to praise Yeshua, Jesus, that He is the perfect sacrifice, and actually all the sacrifices in the temple are fulfilled in Him. The second regulation is uh, uh, to uh, one. It's well. The second is to take some trees, some branches and to celebrate in front of the Lord and to wave before God these different branches to uh, worship Him, to celebrate Him, and to uh, commemorate His redemption, His provision, uh, Him setting us free and navigating us through the desert. And there are like several, uh, several things that we are to take. And if you would, just uh, go to the, uh, to the Bible with me, to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23, I'm going to read from the verse 39. On exactly the 15th day of the seventh, uh, seventh month, when you have gathered the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days, with rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now, on the first day, you shall take for yourself the uh, foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs uh, of leafy trees and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord, your God, for seven days. So uh, you ta uh, we, take this, uh, we take these branches of the trees, we put them together, and we take also a very beautiful like citrus-like uh, fruit that is called a rock, and we put it all together, and we just uh, like almost like a dance before God. We do it in the way uh, we, uh, we shake this all, we uh, toward Jerusalem first, then uh, on our right, then on, our, uh, on the back, then uh, to the left, then high, to the up, and then down. Why? Because we praise God in all directions of the world. So everywhere. We rejoice in, fro uh, in front of Him. We explain this uh, special bench uh, of uh, special package uh, uh, of these branches uh, that is called lulav. Lulav, it's actually for palm trees. Uh, 
So it's like uh, the palm tree is probably because it's the largest uh, and the strongest of everything in this uh, in this pa uh, package of uh, branches. That's probably the way it's called. It's in uh, it's a very old tradition. We see it uh, in the Bible. And uh, so this is one thing that we do. And another thing we read in uh, the following verse. You shall, uh, verse 41, you shall uh, thus celebrate it at, uh, as a feast of the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in Sukkot, in the tabernacles, for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths, in tabernacles, in Sukkot so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in the tabernacles when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. So we are to dwell in the tabernacles. Uh, to live, uh, it's literally probably better to translate to dwell, to sit, to do something there. We are to spend some time in the sukkah to celebrate and to commemorate the protection of God in the desert. In fact, God never placed us to live in the Sukkot, but in tents. We used to live in tents in the desert, not in, in the tabernacles built of green branches. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have enough time to explain to you how to build the sukkah, how to uh, uh, sit there, what to eat and who, uh, and who to receive as guests there. Uh, you can read it online, just Google it, uh, Wikipedia is there, as many, as, uh, as, uh, as many other resources uh, online. But I want to, uh, uh, this, uh, this morning, I want to bring something to your attention that you might know, or maybe not, to show the, re uh, the relevance of this feast and, uh, and its traditions also to our understanding of the New Testament and the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Why uh, I think it's uh, very important, uh, especially these days. The last week, we built a sukkah on, on the campus of Dallas Theological Seminary. And believe it or not, it's a groundbreaking and historic event. Dallas Theological Seminary is almost 100 years old. And it is the first time the sukkah is built on campus there. I think it's just it's so essential for the seminary that is built upon the idea of exegesis of the Bible, literal understanding of the scripture, and expository teaching. It's not just the illustration. The sukkah, the tabernacle, it's the Bible. I mean, it's what is written there. We build it there. I spent some time there, sitting just like in a shelter, waiting for people to come. Just come, ask questions. We, we place something on the sukkah, like the explanation, what is that? So there was like written uh, with big letters, what is that? <laughs> and I was, uh, to be honest, surprised that most of the students had no clue what is that about. Even those who graduate, just graduated, even those who are graduate in this coming May, they took almost all B classes, Bible exposition classes, and they had no idea what is that. And what is that for? And uh, to be honest, also some professors had no clue. <laughs> I told to somebody in the key leadership, so in the highest leadership of the seminary, that I'm surprised. And he said, well, I'm not surprised. I said, well, maybe you're right, but that's why we are here. We are going to fix it. 
So I'm glad these days, I'm especially glad that I'm involved uh, as director for Jewish studies at Dallas Theological Seminary, because we are going to fix something what, what ought to be fixed. The understanding of the Bible also from the Jewish perspective, because it gives us a clear perspective and understanding of the Bible, including the New Testament. You know what I was telling students who were uh, who just were wondering what is that and why is that important? I said, you know, it's written in the Bible. It's a direct commandment. God commanded that to uh, to make. And by the way, it's Leviticus 23 and not just there. It's also uh, Zechariah chapter 14. All nations are, are going to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you remember this passage? Eschatological passage, end times. We talk about end times so much uh, these days, particularly looking at the politics. I, sometimes I'm even getting sick of this. But, uh, but still, we are just like, oh, we are in end times. Maybe. Okay. I'm not uh, going to talk much uh, this stuff uh, this morning. But uh, Zechariah chapter 14. It's end times. You can look at that later. But it's about uh, like all nations will come to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So just get ready. Come and be with us in the tabernacle in the sukkah even today. So this feast is related to the future. But also now let's, uh, let's consider some passages in the New Testament in the life of our Messiah and Savior Jesus, if you would. So let's uh, well, uh, let's start with uh, Matthew chapter seventeen. Uh, let me even go one verse up, chapter sixteen, Matthew chapter sixteen, verse twenty-eight. Truly, I say to you. Jesus speaks. There are some of those who are standing here, he speaks to his disciples, who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So far, so good. So his disciples, they were going to see the glory of the Messiah in his kingdom. And then chapter 17. Six days later, Yeshua took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking uh, talking with him. Peter said to Yeshua, Lord, it is good for us to be here. I take a pause. Do you remember what, uh, what Peter saw at this very moment? The glory, the kingdom glory of the Messiah. In his, uh, in his letter, in First Peter, uh, he writes, We saw his glory at that mountain. We saw him as the king. We, we just experienced the kingdom. It is good for us to be here. And then I keep reading. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, three Sukkot, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Was it during the Sukkot celebration? No. It was completely different season. But at that very moment, Peter got so impressed by seeing the kingdom of God coming that his initial reaction was to build a tabernacle, to build Sukkot. Why? Because it's the end times construction. 
because Sukkot can be celebrated any time of the year when we see the kingdom. Because it's the end times feast. So just take a note of that. Let's build Sukkot. Not necessarily because it's the season, but because the Messiah is here in his glory. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 21. Yeshua, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. He sits on the donkey and he is coming. Verse 8 and verse, uh, verse 9. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Do you know this passage? Have you heard that before? Have you noticed something here, something special? Let me, uh, let me give you two things. Two things that uh, not always noticed. First, they took branches. They cut branches. Why? And what branches? In Greek text, it's written the branches of the trees. Just whatever tree, or just there is a tree, I take a branch. Was it like this? Do you know how the church, the early church, called this day? Even today, it's like a special day. What? Palm Sunday. Why palm? There is no word about palm in this passage. Because the early church knew something about this uh, situation. They were celebrating sort of like Sukkot. And they were taking lulav. So the palm branches. They were suddenly making these packages of branches to greet the Messiah because that was the traditional way of doing that. So uh, they were shouting, Baruch Hababa Shem Adonai, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It's from the Messianic uh, Psalms of Praise from the Bible. And it's a special greeting of the Messiah as the king. So by what they were saying here, we clearly see they knew that there is a king coming and his kingdom is going to be inaugurated. Well, they did know that there are going to be 2,000 more years at least. But their assumption, their impression was the kingdom is here now. There is a king. Let's greet him. How we should greet him? As we do it on Sukkot. And now, uh, this uh, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, Hosanna, it's uh, just uh, help us, sa like save us. And Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. This uh, this Hoshanot, so to speak, this uh, saying Hosanna, they are part of the Sukkot celebration. That's what we do every day during the Sukkot season. So you see what the people were doing here? They were celebrating Sukkot. Excuse me? It was the Passover season. It was like six months earlier. How could it be? Because they got it. Sukkot is not just a season. Sukkot is a prophetic significance pointing directly to the coming of the Messiah. 
That's why whenever the Messiah is here, there is Sukkot. Peter was trying to build a Sukkah. The people in Jerusalem, the Jewish people, were praising Jesus as at the time of Sukkot, though it was the Passover season. We know that, uh, that each particular Jewish holiday, or holiday in the Bible, has its fulfillment in Yeshua, in Jesus. We know that with Passover, we know that with Shavuot, with Pentecost, we also assume that the same will be the case with Jewish New Year, with the Feast of Atonement, with the Day of Atonement, and with the Feast of Sukkot. So, we might assume that Yeshua will come back and inaugurate his kingdom in the fall about the Passover season. But Yeshua, our King and Messiah, himself said, nobody knows the day or the season when it's going to happen. Should they expect him exactly establishing his kingdom for Sukkot? Possibly, but not necessary. He can come any time. And whenever he comes, whenever his kingdom will be fully established, we will take the branches of particular trees and we will praise him. And we will say, welcome the king, the son of David. And we will say, Hoshana, and we will build the tabernacles. And we will dwell with him for his kingdom on this earth and for the glorious eternity. That was the first subject. <laughs> Please pray for, uh, for what we're trying to do in Dallas Theological Seminary. Because the Jewish studies and activities related to Jewish studies have uh, potential to impact the future generations of the Christian leaders and even Messianic leaders because there are many Jewish believers to uh, understand the Bible better, to see the link even better between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as the slogan of uh, a, a motto of uh, Dallas Theological Seminary, Love well, Love well says, it will help Dallas Theological Seminary and Christians to love Jewish people well, even to love Jewish people better. So please pray for what we are trying to achieve. The activities are, uh, are growing uh, and we are getting more students involved in uh, all this. There are still some obstacles, there are some challenges, uh, but if you know me, challenges just make me even more energetic. I love challenges, I live by challenges, uh, so just pray for the challenges and for us making the impact and fixing the gap that must be fixed, okay? Now, about a month ago, as I was here, I was asked, uh, what do Jewish people think about afterlife <laughs> or the life after death? I said, well, it's a good question. I'm going to talk about that next time I'm here. So now I'm going to talk about Jewish belief regarding the afterlife. Be ready, because as you know, the Jewish mindset to Jewish, pe uh, to Jewish people, to Jews, three opinions. It's also very well related to the understanding of the afterlife, especially with historic development. Let's start with the Bible. 
in the Bible, according to the Jewish understanding, I mean, Jewish scholarly understanding, and to be honest, exegetical understanding, there is not much written about it, like life after death. The majority of the passages that we see in, in the Old Testament, and I'm talking about Hebrew Bible, about the Old Testament now, they, uh, the passages say there is uh, life on this earth, then we die, and there is like sort of almost nothing. Uh, scholars try to explain why is that. And some say it's probably because uh, God was trying uh, to uh, uh, just uh, to uh, to work against worshiping the dead, what all other nations were doing, uh, because they believe uh, they believed uh, that there is life after death, and we know in the Torah and in the Bible they were just talking to dead. They were demons. But uh, this worshiping those who died and getting in touch with them was a very common pagan, uh, pagan tradition. So that might be a plausible explanation, but not necessary. Let's, uh, let's look at some, uh, some very clear passages in, uh, in the Bible. Do you want to help me with some passages? Tell me what is the most the most clear passage that you might remember. Oh, you should know. Sorry. Where is that? No, no, I'm not talking about the New Testament. I'm not. No, no, no. Just, just, just forget the New Testament for a second. Just let's, let, we're talking about Jewish views, okay? So in Jewish views, they are built upon the Old Testament. So let's think the Old Testament. Where are the Old Testament passages? In the New Testament, by the way, the life after death is omnipresent, so to speak. It's all over the place. Promises to Abraham? What was promised to Abraham? The, the land and <coughs> Okay. It's, it's, a great, it's a great point. It's not what the Jewish tradition uh, use a lot, but it's a good point. So the land was promised to the Abraham. So how would you interpret that? That he's going to have land and he didn't get it. He exactly. So he never got the land that was promised to him. He died. But God never lies. So he is still to get the land. In order to get the land, what should happen? Abraham should be alive. Sort of like resurrection, isn't it? Resurrection because the land is something physical. It's not like for immortal soul. It's for the, re uh, the resurrected body. Now, the formula of saying promise regarding the land sounded always, uh, to, in the most cases, as I promised to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give it to them, to give that to their children and to them, to give to them. But they all died, right? Abraham died, Isaac died, Jacob died. They never received the land, but it was promised for them to get and to live there. So what should happen? There they should be alive. Now, do you remember the, uh, the Pharisees coming to, uh, to Yeshua, telling, uh, challenging him on, uh, on the issue of resurrection? What was his answer? God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is not the God of dead, but the living. I heard so many good but wrong commenters on this passage. Seriously, they're good, preach swell, but they're so wrong. 
the only the only correct interpretation would be what you just said they're going to be resurrected because Jesus was quoting the formula that Jewish people should know at that time the formula of the promised land you will get that they are to get that that's why the, the resurrection is coming okay what else Uh, restore, uh, restore uh, he will restore my body. Well, it's uh, good, but at the same time, many exegetical inter uh, com uh, commentators would say it's about job to be restored in this life, not in the afterlife. You see? I wish it would be like so clear, but it's not. But it's a good passage. Mm -hmm. uh, well, or he just assu uh, assuming that he's going to die as well. So baby died, he's going to die. Uh, what chapter? 20, uh, 50, 53, yeah. Uh, it, it might be. It might be uh, indicating the resurrection of the Messiah, right? So, or the suffering servant, that he uh, he died, but then he will, ha will he will see the posterity, he will see the uh, uh, the people uh, people afterwards, and he is going to reign. Yeah, uh, but it's about the Messiah. It's not about everybody else yet. So the, uh, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 is indeed eternal. Right. And he is going to be risen. But what about us? Oh, yes, uh, you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. I agree with you, but it's not clear in the text, you know? What is that? But it's not about the resurrection, it's just about that. Well, now you, you see what you're doing now? You are, you are, taking, uh, you are taking what is uh, written in the New Testament, you project it back, and it's legitimate, it's a midrash, it's a special like hidden interpretation that is used of the Old Testament that is used in the New, but you see, you, you're, not doing ex you're not talking the clear, direct meaning not exegesis at the moment okay well how about daniel chapter 12 Verse two. for example yeah so let's look uh daniel chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands uh, guard over the so uh, sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, this to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse, expanse of heaven. And uh, those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's uh, that's one of those clear indications of the resurrection from the dead. Why, by the way, Jesus never used this passage with the Pharisees, of, uh, with the Sadducees, excuse me. Because the Sadducees didn't believe that Daniel is part of the scripture. It was secondary. So Jesus ought to talk to Sadducees from the Torah, 
from the first five books of Moses, what he did. Anyway, that's one of, uh, one of the passages uh, and uh, pretty clear regarding the resurrection. So take note of this uh, passage. Another one, let's uh, look uh, quickly to Isaiah chapter 25. Verse 8. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. So the death will be gone, and it's another passage that might be used in support of the resurrection. Isaiah 26, great passage. So uh, Isaiah, 20, uh, I, uh, Isaiah 26, verse 19. My goodness, it's on my, in my notes. So you just, it was my, have you, have you read my mind? I'm just kidding. So verse, uh, verse 19, your dead will leave. Their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust awake and shout for joy. For your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. It's another clear passage uh, for the resurrection. There are not many others actually there, but two or three would be also sufficient at the moment. Now, all these three passages, two from Isaiah and one from Daniel, are they for now or for 100 years back? You see, the resurrection of the dead is related to the eschatological, to the end times, to the time of the restoration, as we know today, for the time of the Messiah, Yeshua, to come back. Now, uh, resurrection we saw, but there is also another uh, Jewish understanding that we uh, that we also pretty familiar with uh, from the New Testament, and it is about the immortality of our soul. Are you familiar with that? Just our souls are eternal. It's nowhere in the Bible clearly written, actually. In the New Testament. For sure, it's there. But in the Old Testament, there is no clear evidence. Besides maybe uh, Ecclesiastes. Do you remember Ecclesiastes uh, saying something on that? Let's look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. It's like immortality of the soul, but at the same time, maybe it's just a reference to the genesis, to the creation of the man, because God breath his soul, or like soul, or just breath, gave him breath to the man who made of the dust. So it's, it's probably, or it's possibly just an allusion 
to the creation of the man. Before you will get frustrated with me, telling you that there is nothing in the Old Testament, I would tell you that in the intertestamental period, just like, uh, let's say, first and second century BC, and BC I mean not before COVID, <laughs> but just before Yeshua, and, uh, there was a, this idea in development that our souls are immortal, that our souls exist forever. And everything else, what we see with the Jewish tradition, like in Mishnah, in Talmud, we see the play of these two ideas. So the afterlife is related in Jewish mindset to two ideas. Our souls are immortal. And God is going to resurrect our bodies. And, they, uh, and uh, to, in different stages of Jewish, uh, of Jewish tradition and Jewish history, sometimes the bodily resurrection was more important than the soul that exists forever. In some, in some seasons of Jewish history, the soul was more important than the resurrection. So much than about 200 years ago, some Jewish scholars even told that there is no resurrection and it's no relevance uh, to us because it's enough that our souls exist for, uh, forever. So no bodily resurrection or the soul, uh, or the soul is uh, not, eter uh, not eternal. We know that both end is correct. How do we know that? From the Old Testament? Not exegetically, not directly. What else helps us to understand that it's true? The New Testament. <laughs> because it's also inspired word of God. And we do believe that what the apostles wrote is true. So, the Jewish, uh, the Jew, yes, go ahead. It's a great question. Uh, where, the, uh, where the Jewish people believe the soul is located after the death? It's a very good question. <laughs> and there is no clear answer to this question. Because at the seasons, as we believe that there is a resurrection from the dead, and it's what's important, we didn't care about where the soul is located because we were looking ahead to the eschaton, to the end times, when our bodies were, are going to be resurrected. For those who believe that it's not important, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection, but the soul is immortal and somewhere uh, located at the moment, they, uh, they thought that it's just like it lives even now. And uh, the mystical Jewish mystical tradition, uh, like several hundred years ago in later uh, medieval period, uh, even developed the idea of uh, how, you, uh, how we call it, uh, just, uh, it's when the soul takes different bodies, trans reincarnation. reincarnation. Yeah, so believe it, or, uh, believe it or not, but Jewish, there are many Jewish scholars who believed uh, the, uh, in reincarnation. And even today, there is impact of that. So we have a prayer even to uh, where we, got, we ask God to bring our deceased relatives to a better place if we donate some money. So we give some money, give them better, better place. The Jewish tradition sometimes said, why, Gavold, what are you doing by saying that? So there is no uh, uh, common opinion in this regard. But, and it's also true with us, according to the New Testament, it's not absolutely clear. But what is the most important for us is to believe in two things. 
First, our souls are immortal. And our life is not over when we die. And second, there is a bodily resurrection coming. And it's not about if we are going to, be, to live eternally. It's about where we are going to spend this eternity. So, sorry for not uh, speculating deeper about the location. Uh, you can ask your pastor or Wayne later <laughs> about that. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, it's too thin eyes for me to walk upon. <laughs> but let me, uh, let me finish with reading something from the Jewish liturgy, if I may. Uh, first passage is uh, from uh, daily prayer. It's a prayer that we say each morning, communal prayer in the synagogue. It's called, um, uh, it's Shacharit, morning uh, prayer, and it's part called Amidah, so we're standing. It's the key, like the core prayer in the Jewish mindset. Every day we say things like this. Sustainer of the living with kindness, resurrector of the dead, with great mercy, supporter of the fallen, and healer of the sick, and releaser of the imprisoned, and fulfiller of his full, uh, faithfulness to those who sleep in the dust. Who is like you, master of mighty deeds? And who can be compared to you, king who causes death and restores life, and causes deliverance to sprout forth. And you are faithful to restore the dead to life. Blessed are you, the Lord, resurrector of the dead. Every day we say that, and it shows our faith and our belief in the resurrection. And you know how this uh, part of prayer called, this particular part, the mighty God. The resurrection of the dead is the evidence that God is all-powerful. He creates life and he gives new life. He is strong enough to resurrect. And just very quickly, Another, uh, another, another prayer. And this prayer is, uh, we say it every morning. So by uh, just when we rise up, so after we awake, we say, uh, we say this in the Jewish uh, liturgy, personally. My God, the soul that you put in me is pure. You formed, me, formed it in me. You breast it into me. You keep it in me. You will take it from me one day, but restore it to me in the time to come. So long as the soul is in me, I thank you, Lord my God and God of my fathers, master of all ages, Lord of all souls. Blessed are you, Lord, who restores souls to dead corpses. So, what we know from the Jewish tradition, and even more important, from the New Testament and from the Bible, our souls are immortal, and the resurrection is coming. Amen. May I ask you one really? Oh, I don't know. May? May? It's, it's 12. I need to finish, but. <laughs> yes. What is there? Yes. Right. That's what uh, I already addressed uh, today briefly. Most probably, it's not about the eternal resurrection, but it's about restoration of Job okay. that he experienced at the end of the book. Okay. That's what I mm -hmm. Yes. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And the last there? Uh, it's 
Where, uh, what word? Yeah, paradise, uh, literally, it means... Cool. Cool, we, we need another hour for that, but uh, I just... Uh, somebody asked me recently, uh, when we die and see each other in eternity by the resurrection. Are we going to recognize uh, each other? So for example, Ryan, would he be so skinny as he is today or as he used to be half a year ago? <laughs> or how young will Ryan be uh, there when I see him there? It's a tough question. There is no answer. But the most important thing is I'm going to see Ryan there. And nobody is going to experience any sickness anymore. So if somebody was just uh, missing a leg, there will not be suffering because of that any longer. With I, so now, listen, I need to use my uh, reading glasses. Hate it. <laughs> Looking forward to the, re the resurrection, right? God bless you. Yes, sure. Connie and Connie and Vladimir and Ina and I are going to Chewy's for lunch. Uh, I think we'll be finished in time to go sing. So if you want to join us, we'd be glad to have you. Um, Chewy's just just down here on Preston. If you think you'd like to go, if you'll raise your hand so I have an idea how many uh, chairs to have them uh, take. I know it. They they're going back to. Uh, Actually, they're going to go see their daughters this afternoon, so they got a flight and can't do the singing. And so uh, we're just going to go grab lunch with them. If you would like to go, uh, let me know or raise your hand or come on down. So you're going to close the ironic press. Okay. Uh, don't raise your hand because, uh, because if nobody raises, I will be so frustrated. <laughs> just tell it to Ryan later, okay? <laughs> I know that you are busy. No worries. I'm just hungry. I will eat and, that, uh, and Tina as well, and that's what matters. Anyway, uh, ironic benediction. I'm saying that in Hebrew because you know that in English, right? Yer Adonai Panav Eleha Vihuneka. Isadonai Panav Eleha Vesemlecha Shalom. Amen.